The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review TV shows that lasted only one season or less. We're real smooth today. <laughs> we literally uh, started recording this episode, and we were just like, no, we're saying things weird. And then I just did that. So that, never mind. So, the, so that was the normal take. Yeah, that's, this is the one we kept. <laughs> Introduce yourself, William. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. So it's really confusing. It's extremely confusing. <laughs> it should be Bibbs 1 and Bibbs 2. And, and uh, then I end up being Bibbs 2 for some reason. Welcome back to Cancelled 2, soon with Bibbs 2. Zing. Uh, yeah, this is Cancelled 2 Soon. We review TV shows that failed, even though they maybe didn't deserve to. And then we find out if that's the thing. And uh, in this particular cycle, we've uh, got the sillies today. In uh, this particular cycle of Cancelled Too Soon, we're doing a, a yearly event that we like to call Suddenly Last Season, in which we highlight the TV shows that got cancelled after one season, or less, uh, within the last year. And boy, I mean, it happens every year, doesn't it? Yep. They, they introduce you know fifty new shows. Five of them might hang on, so we're, yeah. we'll never run out of material here. Never, ever, and, ever going to run out of material. And this is our second Hulu show in a row as well. Yeah, and that's a coincidence. Mm. Uh, we actually left uh, three of the shows that we were going to do in this uh, this year's suddenly last season up to our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, and uh, yeah, one of the winners. Was the show we are reviewing today? It was pretty critically acclaimed. Uh, a lot of people I knew were talking about it, saying this was an excellent program. Uh, but for a variety of reasons, uh, which we will discuss in a minute, uh, it was canceled. Was it canceled too soon? Let's find out. But first, let's enjoy a little preview of High Fidelity. Okay, so here's how not to plan a career. One, split up with boyfriend. Two, ditch college. Three, go to work in a struggling record shop. Four, become owner of said record shop and stay there for the rest of life. And five, well, there is no five. Does she seem sadder than usual or is it the sweater? Sweater? What's wrong with me? Why am I doomed to be left? Why am I doomed to be rejected? Seriously. High Fidelity is based on a 1995 novel by Nick Hornby. Uh, it was made into a movie in 2000. It was made into a stage musical in the mid-2000s at some point, And then they decided to turn it into a TV series on Hulu. I've, I've uh, seen the movie. I've never seen the play. Is it have you? No, I, I don't know. I haven't okay. read the book. I haven't seen okay. the play. I haven't read the book. Uh, my wife, uh, Angie, is a big fan, however, of the movie, and of, and she's also read the book. Well, but she's a, she's a big music fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, so my, she uh, she my, certainly connects on that level, wife right? Wife is a, is a deep-cut rock snob, and I mean that with the most possible affection. Yeah. Uh, and this is a book, movie, show, TV series about rock snobbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is weird, because rock snobbery kind of died out at one point. And it hasn't been back. 
Uh, and, it feels, it feels, and it feels it, there's something weird. It's even though this new TV series is set in the present, it's set in 2019 when it the feels show like came a out. 90s movie with cell phones. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it feels very 90s. It's based in 90s attitudes. There's this weird, uh, if I may use the word, elegiac atmosphere to it, reaching back to a time when uh, snobbery and gatekeeping was really common and indeed kind of a necessary practice. When it comes to communicating things to people, we say gatekeeping now and it's a pejorative because, and we we say gatekeeping now as a pejorative because there are no gates anymore. Thanks to the internet, we have access to all the media and we can find our own ways and we don't need people to sit, sit around and saying, watch this and not that. Well, also I think what we thought of as gatekeeping in a positive way, Mm. uh, referred to, I don't, oh, you don't know that something cool exists? Here's this Here, gate. Yeah. Welcome through. Do you need, can we help? We, can there we, were, can I recommend a, some records? Like that kind of yeah, thing. That used um, to be yeah. what gatekeeping should have been anyway. And then it becomes, yeah. oh, if you don't know uh, uh, enough about you need, Jim you Morrison, need to, you, you need can't to, walk yeah. into this. You need to come up through this boring. path and go through this yeah. gate, even though there's no fence anymore. They just walk around. Yeah. Do you deserve uh, to get through there this was, gate? Um, That's some bullshit right there. There was uh, a really wonderful film that came out in the mid 2000s called Good Dick. It was made by a Scottish filmmaker named Mariana Polka. And who uh, you may know of, uh, a lot of people may know her. She's, uh, it was in the cast of Glow. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, and she, she made this film about Cinephile Video, our local video store. Mm-hmm. It is a film about Cinephile Video. Very specifically. It's, like, it's, that I don't story. think it's named in the movie, but it's, it was, it shot, was shot there. there yeah. It was shot there and it was about her experience going there. And the whole idea was the people who work at video stores and by extension that used to work at record stores mm-hmm. or the people who used to work at bookshops. Mm-hmm were the keepers of the keys. Yeah, they were they, the key masters, they not the so much ac- the gate- gatekeepers. They had access to mm. all the cool stuff. They knew and, about all the cool and stuff. And so what happens is instead of like searching Wikipedia for information or asking in an online forum like Twitter mm. or whatever it is for, oh, I'm looking for recommendations for things, mm. um, often for many, many years, the best bet you had was to go into a record store, a video store, mm. a bookstore, and ask the people there who were surrounded with the stuff and consume more of it and mm. uh, and take more get to take more chances because they have more time to do so, and then ask them. And then yeah. that develops a sort of community in which people talk in yeah. the store. Yeah. And one of my favorite things in this show is there are many scenes, which is uh, a lot of the show is set at a record store today. Mm. Uh, vinyl made a comeback. It's still niche, but it made a comeback. It made a comeback, and it's also set in like the hipster area of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. which is also goes a long way to explain well, where a lot of the characters and how they live, and, and also why this record store is still functioning. Because it is actually very few kind do. of successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a lot of scenes, and there's some of my favorite scenes in this series, where all of the people who work at this record store and the regular customers are having these like long, in-depth conversations and mm. kind of testing each other's knowledge of stuff in a way that's supposed to be endearing and then the customer comes in and is just like yeah i just wanted to buy this like they're transact they're committing a transaction Mm. and they're uncomfortable with just how 1990s the vibe (laughs) is here because no you came here for a social experience Mm. to surround your transaction and and that was sort of the magic that i think nick hornby was trying to capture when he was writing that writing the original novel of high fidelity Mm. Uh, well, based on is, our knowledge of the movie. Uh, 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 but yeah, it's true. I haven't read the book, but based on my knowledge of the movie and my knowledge of being alive in the 90s and doing that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was about this sort of bonding exercise. And of course, you'd go into these places. 
these people have consumed a lot. They've gone real deep in terms of media, which means their tastes are a little weird now. Yeah. And if you try to go for something like even remotely mainstream or something out of their taste, they will judge you. Mm. And as a customer, you could be put off by that or you could see it as a challenge. Ooh. It's like, oh, well, maybe I should put this down. What, what do you recommend? Here's Gil Scott Heron. Oh, okay. It's poetry. Okay, I'm going to buy this. Yes, you are. Okay, I passed. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great kids in the hall sketch I think of sometimes where someone's like trying to get into like the doors at a record store and they're like, <laughs> uh, hey, I was thinking about getting this greatest hits album. No! And he slaps it out of his hand. <laughs> You're going to get Waiting for the Sun. You're going to listen to it five times in your car and then as soon as the last track ends that fifth time, you're going to get out you're going to start a fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> buy that album. Steal a car. I don't care if you own one. Steal it. But the th- but I, th- I think the thing we're dancing around here is that mm. there's a lot of nostalgia for that. Mm. But a lot of that kind of mentality has, and I think it's easy to blame mm. the internet because it definitely had a part. But also, I think it was always embedded in there. There is a level of toxicity in that, and oh, depending sure. on the person and well, depending and, uh, on the environment, it can get really, really gross. And that was my experience with High Fidelity from 2000, the movie. Okay. Uh, the original film was uh, directed by Stephen Frears. Uh, it starred John Cusack as a character named Rob. Uh, that character is played by... Zoe Kravitz in Zoe this Kravitz, TV series. Thank you. TV series. Uh, which, so, is, which is funny because uh, Lisa Bonet, her mom, is in the original movie. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Uh, but uh, in the original film, uh, John Cusack plays Rob. He owns a record store. And he's incredibly unhappy in love. He's mm-hmm. very neurotic. And he decides uh, that in order to figure out himself, in order to get over his relationships, uh, he's going to go to therapy. <laughs> Wait, no, no this he is a movie. Do you don't just do that. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, the toxicity you're talking about is, is something that both the movie and this TV show deal with. Yes. It shows that, okay, these people are really cool. They have really great taste in music. They live in this sort of hip really laid back kind of slacker paradise, but they're also really unsuccessful socially and romantically. They're actually kind of awful people in a lot of ways. They are. And here's the thing I think is is significant. Mm. Um, In the original film, the both the original film and this series of the series only tackles this over the course of a few episodes uh, revolve around uh, Rob deciding that in order to figure out why he is so unhappy in love, why he's so unsuccessful Mm. in relationships. And this is after a particularly nasty breakup. Yeah. He's going to track down the top five loves of his life who broke his heart. Yeah. Uh, Because that's the way he thinks, in top fives. Yeah, which, again, look at the internet right now. Like, right now there's Mm. a decent chance someone's doing a meme about how, hey, what are your top five superhero movies? Or, hey, what are your top five Nestle quick flavors? I don't know, something. (laughs) That's how we think. We Mm. think in listicles. And that predates the internet. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um... But, uh, so he's going to look up his top five breakups and he's going to figure out based on who they are now and how they interact with him now, where he went wrong. Mm. And in the original film, and I can't speak to how accurate this is to the book. And a lot of this might be a matter of tone. I remember when High Fidelity came out and it came out to big critical acclaim Mm. when it came out. It was very, very popular right off the bat. It was one of the things that helped, uh, pushed Jack Black into the foreground. He had a very mm. uh, prominent supporting role, big scene stealer. Um, he sings a dynamite cover of Let's Get It On at the end of the movie. He does, yeah. and that's 100% true. Uh, but I'm watching this, and I'm, eight, I'm like 18, maybe 19 by the time I get around to it, because I had to watch it on home video. Mm. Um, 
I hated John Cusack's character with a fiery vengeance. <laughs> like I hated, him. and I, it's, I, there were parts of him. That, I that, reckon, that is kind of the point: is that he's kind, he's, of, kind of he's he's like he's cool, but he's also a dickhead. I never thought he was cool though, oh, okay. and that's the thing. I there are parts of him I should recognize because I was kind of a movie snob, mm. and he's a music snob, and there's some overlap there, certainly in mm. terms of like general sort of there, uh, uh, attitude. Thinking back to the '90s, there wasn't a lot of mixing. The movie people yeah. and the music people, like. Might brush up against each other, but yeah, they Look, they were tend to be separate tribes. That fair enough. Uh, but uh, in any case, it wasn't that I didn't mind that he was a music snob. I mm. didn't mind that he was a bit of a jerk. Sometimes we can all handle that. There is a scene in that movie where he tracks down. I think it was the first person who broke his heart. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I might mm. be getting the order wrong. And uh, it was someone who he it was like he dated her in high school, and he really wanted to have sex with her, and she kept rejecting him. And then finally he was just like, he, he seemed like she just wasn't into him and then he left. Mm-hmm. He encounters her and he asks, why did you reject me so many times? And her response was, I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready yet. I actually did want to lose my virginity to you. But when you broke my heart after pressuring me for so long, I ended up having a horrible experience losing my virginity and it mm-hmm. fucked me up for the rest of my life. And then it cuts to him leaving the house or the building or whatever mm-hmm. and going, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I hated him yeah. more than I had ever hated any fictional character before. <laughs> the, that was such a, not just, not just a jerk move. Mm-hmm. That was such a monstrous takeaway. From hearing someone whose life was detrimentally destroyed because of something you did. Yeah, you were young and immature, but something you did. Mm. And instead of going, oh my god, I'm so sorry, he goes, yay, I'm blameless. The movie could not recover. The movie never recovered from that. I don't care how much growth he did. I was so mad at him. Mm. I just, I, I, they lost me. They overplayed that hand dramatically. And I was very, very pleased in this series, when we find out that Rob does the same thing, that they rewrote that interaction. Yeah, they, and that interaction doesn't play out that yeah, way they, at all. The, uh, but the, the premise basically is the same as the movie and the book. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rob, Robin now, uh, is has a really bad breakup with a almost perfect boyfriend. Yeah, who, the love uh, of her life. Lo- yeah, lo- lo- yeah, love of her life there. Uh, and we learn over the course of the series that he was going to propose to her and she found the ring before he proposed to her. So she freaked out and mm. uh, ended up breaking up with him because she wasn't ready because she's still in her mid-20s. Yeah. It's, the whole know, thing. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Uh, so after that breakup, she starts to have this big reckoning and decides to look up her top five heartbreaks yeah. of, of her whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, starts with a guy that she sort of held hands with a few times in junior high. Like, it was it was her first kiss. Mm. They kissed a few times after school, and then after a couple of days of mm. that, he started kissing someone else, mm. and that was her first heartbreak. Yeah. Not a linger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First one always hurts. And, uh... In, 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 music plays a really important part in this, and well, so yeah. she she's at school, she's listening to headphones, and, uh... This this uh, kid comes up to her and says, "What are you listening to?" Her? I think she says, "Green Day." Or... No, she says Weezer. Weezer. Like, that's she was right. listening to Frank Zappa. She was listening to to <laughs> Bobby Brown by Frank Zappa, which you know, okay, maybe thirteen year olds should listen to that. Well, no, hey, but, listen, uh, she, she 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 figured out her neat her her thing really yeah, really quickly. Yeah. So she's listening to Frank Zappa, or maybe her parents are really cool. I think we meet one of her parents later in the, her, the series. We see, and, we see her mom and like, she a seems Zoom pretty hip or something. Um, but uh, she's she's listening to Frank Zappa. This little dude asks. Uh, hey, what you listen to? And she said, Weezer. Mm. And in the voiceover, because a lot of this is done in voiceover, she says, I said Weezer because all white di- white kids liked Weezer. Yeah. <laughs> and the dude's like, cool. <laughs> Which 
was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, cool is was always that currency, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, what? What? How can you outcool somebody? Um, the the child of high fidelity is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. They're kind they're very very similar and uh, yeah only and literally like ten years apart movie wise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Cool is the only thing Scott cares about. Like there there's almost the emotional connection almost doesn't matter. It's just how cool can he appear to these other people? Uh, Basically, yeah, I'm not yeah. Gonna, I'm, I, this is not the time to have a nuanced discussion about Scott Pilgrim, but kind of. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, and again, I'm only talking about the movie. I'm, I'm yeah. sure the comics are far more complicated and nuanced They're, than the movie. More was. so. More yeah. so. I'll just say more so. We'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, so uh, she, she has to think of her top five breakups. Uh, in addition to the love of her life, who she, uh, mm. she freaked out and they broke up. Yeah. And uh, this kid, there was also... Um, uh, Another guy that she deems to be really uncool. She says, "Okay, here's this guy. He was a stand-up comedian in Brooklyn. That was pretty cool for a while. Was, yeah, yeah. That, that was cool for like a month in like 2000. And uh, okay, so his favorite bands were the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Dave Matthews Band, and Nickelback. So yeah, he was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like an right. Aerosmith. He liked Aerosmith. He just and, like really mainstream stuff. Uh, mainstream yeah. white dude arena rock kind of stuff. And." Yeah. Uh, yeah, she she and she goes through these exes pretty quick over the course of the series. It lasted yeah. ten episodes, but this only takes up maybe four of them. Oh, I think it's more like two. Yeah. Really, she she gets through like three in one episode and then two in another. Mm-hmm. Like one of them turned out to be an Instagram influencer yeah. who she invites her to come to an Instagram influencer party, and it's the worst. Yeah, they're, they're all they're all like po- posing with bottled water or some kind of like uh, yeah. malt liquor beverage, and yeah. Yeah, and they're all, they all care about how they look, how they're posing yeah. with these cans. It feels like it's right out of a Boonwell film. Yes, I've come to this party and yeah. I know no one here, oh. but I know that we we are the most important people and we, we, yeah. we're going to make sure all of these strangers know to drink this drink that we don't like. Um, it's very, very surreal. And, her uh, yeah, her ex great. in that scene is a woman. Yeah. She dated a woman uh, when she was a little bit younger and the woman dumped her for another woman. The word bisexual is never said. That kind of pisses me off a little bit. That that yeah. she is a bisexual character, and that's only addressed in regards to this woman she dated. Yeah, there's not actually a factor in mm. any other aspect of her it's life. Like, of course, like I, I appreciate we that see, she, she dates a lot. Actually, of yeah. course, she, she's dating a, a really uh, hunky, decent seeming guy named Clyde, mm. uh, played by Jake Lacey. Uh, she's J- dating J- Jake uh, Lacey, who is right on a matrix in between, uh, like. Jason Sudeikis <laughs> and another slightly the same Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, that's not. You're about right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he he seems cool, but uh, he might have his shit together more than hers, and that's kind mm. of their whole drama. Um, and then uh, her ex Mac, who has moved back into town and who she's still in love with, but now he's dating and possibly engaged to someone. Um, and then there's a singer who she meets at a concert. Uh, who is very hunky and totally into her that, and insanely good looking and like, insanely like good he looking. was grown in a in a model like an underwear model lab he was just yeah. really attractive man uh, you may re- uh, his he's played by Thomas Doherty uh, who you may recall from either the descendants uh Disney franchise where he played like I think Captain Hook's son or whatever uh but yeah, that tracks more than that hmm. Uh, he was in High Strung Free Dance. So, <laughs> that's that was, okay. I was watching this guy and I'm like, 
how do I know this guy? And I was, <laughs> was pulling high, out my hair, and I was finally realized he was in one of the high strung movies. Which the high strung movies are like the heir apparent to step up in terms of tone. So if you like those step up sequels, make sure you see High Strung. Um, uh, but her thing with him is that yeah, it's cool. She always wanted to date a musician. He can take her to concerts, and maybe he'll write a song about her. But he's also nineteen, and she's turning thirty. Yeah. I think she's actually a little older than that in real life, but regardless, uh, that's a big age gap, and she feels yeah. really, really gross about it. No, Zoe, Zoe Kravitz is, she only just turned 32, so she's about the same character, as uh, same age as Rob. No, but somebody's not touched with older. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so those are those are the big people she's, she's dating yeah. right now. Uh, she has a couple other people in her life. Uh, most importantly are her co-workers. Uh, there's Simon, played by David H. Holmes. Uh, Simon was one of her other big heartbreaks, but the big heartbreak wasn't that there was something horrible going on. Just turned out he was gay. Yeah, and he, he wasn't he, sure he, yet. He hadn't figured it out yet. Yeah. Um, they figured it out, and now yeah, they've they, been uh, friends this whole time. And, and they, they uh, which is a, a conflation of two characters from the book and the movie, where yeah. there's this uh, kind of quiet, shy record clerk. And uh, in, in the movie, they say it's like, I just... He asked if he could come in and sell some records, and after that, he just started showing up. So he just started paying him. Like he, mm. he was never really officially hired. Mm. Um, they they made that character into one of the heartbreak characters. I, is, I think to sort of save a little space. Well, that's that's a that's a writing technique called dovetailing, mm. uh, in which you have let's say you have a story in which a lot of people only serve one or two functions in the scripts. Like, okay, so we have a next door neighbor character, and later on in the movie, uh, the character needs a lawyer. Well, why can't mm. you just make the next door neighbor the lawyer, and then that character is more interesting and has more going on? Yeah. So that's what they did, and I think it was a smart play. Uh, Simon's actually maybe my favorite character in the show. Mm. Um, well, be- because he is kind of quiet and mm. unassuming, but he actually is uh, really sarcastic and really self-aware and uh, has a lot more emotional depth as the show goes on. In fact, he gets his own episode. In fact, on. that's yeah. one of the things I like about this show is that even though it is very serialized, mm. um, it is still episodic in some ways. And there's at least two absolute banger episodes just on their own, regardless of all the subplots going on, the actual story they tell mm. are excellent. And we'll talk about them. One is Simon's episode to himself. And the other one is, uh, where uh, Rob gets an opportunity to buy someone's record collection. The, the Parker Posey episode. That's, a great episode. Um, <laughs> That's just a good, like, that would have made a good movie unto itself. But, uh, yeah. but the other person who works for uh, uh, Rob at her record store is Sharice, played by Divine Joy Randolph. And this is the character. Who we saw in uh, Selfie. Uh, was she in Selfie? Yeah, she was She was in all of, every episode of Selfie. Okay, I see, yeah. I, what I know her best from, because I thought she should have just gotten an Oscar nomination for mm. it, was. Um, uh, no, God, I wanted to you. If you hadn't brought up Selfie, I would have known. Oh, it. I'm so sorry. No, it's the Eddie Murphy movie where it was. Um, oh, Dolomite is my name. Dolomite is my name. She's in Dolomite is my name, and I thought she was mm. incredible. Yeah. And Dolomite is my name. And uh, she's really incredible here, playing a role that originally was more of the Jack Black role. Mm. Um, she is effervescent and. and uh, uh, angry, but in a way that's actually really endearing because she's angry with principles. Yeah. And I think the way Jack Black played the character was really emphasizing the snobbery. And I think the way uh, Divine Joy Randolph plays the character is really emphasizing where that snobbery comes from. Mm. And uh, thankfully, it's a show, so you get a lot more real estate. Jack Black really was a supporting character yeah, in the he, film. He only had like a couple scenes to, to do that. And, and yeah. the scenes were funny, but yeah, he was a dick. Yeah, he was a dick, and he came across mm. as a dick. And he's a little bit redeemed by the mm. end of the movie, but mostly comes across as a dick. And 
again, TV helps. He has a mm-hmm. lot more real estate. But even if you cut it all down, I actually preferred Divine Dry Randolph's take on the character. Well, she she was a lot more vulnerable, and we got, yeah, yeah like you said, we got to, to learn more about her. Like, she actually had a dream of getting a guitar, and she actually had another job in one scene. So yeah. it's like, okay, she has a bigger life than we get to see her when she's just sort of acting out at the record store. Yeah. Although they, uh, in both the film and the TV show, there's the moment where they chase a customer out of the store for having gauche tastes. Uh, <laughs> like... Exactly. I, I, in, in, in the movie, it was uh, somebody's looking for... Um, I just called to say I love you. Oh yeah, and uh, I forgot and what it was. In, in Jack Black is just vicious. And well, was like, this the one? There's a, like you, you want to get a, you want to get. A, I just called to say I love you. Go to the mall. We're not going to sell you that here. Yeah. Uh, the scene that I that stood out with for me with her was uh, when a customer came in and it's clearly someone she's buying an album for their significant other, mm. and she wants to buy a Michael Jackson album. At which point, Divine Joy Randolph's uh, Charisse mm. uh, is like. No, <laughs> that's Michael Jackson. Mm. And then they actually have to have a conversation mm. about whether it's even like ethical to sell Michael Jackson records, well, given the, the, what, given the the story. So, but, but then they then they bring up, well, does that mean we can only buy music by people who are like morally peerless? And it's like 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 who who's like that? Okay, Bono. Okay, so if John Stevens. Okay, Michael Stipe. Okay, you know, there's choices. Yeah, there's, <laughs> like, there's a few. But also, yeah. even if you want to pull that card, where, like, oh, so we can only buy records of people who we think are, are morally unassailable, uh, there's a big fucking line between, oh, this guy cheated on mm. his wife, or, oh, this person did a lot of drugs, and what Michael Jackson was accused of. Mm. So the fact that she has principles really, I think, makes that character so much stronger to me, mm. rather than they only have... Uh, uh, only have their taste, yeah. and I think that's yeah, that's that's stronger yeah. for me. Oh, and uh, an, another running uh, gag that runs through the the book, the movie, and this TV series is the idea of a playlist. Now, in in the oh, book, yeah. it's a mixtape. Uh, I don't think anybody is sitting on the on the floor of their bedroom making cassettes any longer. Uh, sometimes uh, there's a retro quality to it. Yeah, but and, it's, and oftentimes there's more CDs if you do that. Yeah, or you make a mixed CD, and now it's just like a Spotify playlist. Yeah. There's not a physical element to it any longer. But yeah. which, the which idea kind of hurts it a little bit because the effect that you had to sit down, take the time, yeah, actually right. listen to yeah. it, and and when you're doing cassettes, you actually had to hit the buttons at just the right moment and dub it onto a cassette. Like the yeah. timing was also yours. You were yeah. doing mixing. There was more effort yeah. basically, which arguably made it an an even more thoughtful gift. Yeah. Yeah. But again, we're gatekeeping now, aren't we? That was that was cooler and this isn't. I, um, fair enough. I'm just yeah. I'm just saying that was the idea. Yeah, that, that was the idea. And so through, over the course of the series, uh, Rob is trying to explain to the audience the strength of a good playlist. And uh, there's there's a bit in the book where he says you can't you can't lead a mixtape with the thesis of the tape. I assume you have wait, to bury have it. You on read so. about the book? Is that where you get this from? The, this I've, the I've read this from the book. Oh, you've read uh, like it, excerpts. It, just okay. this okay. excerpt okay. where he right. talks about uh, you you can't have this you can't have the you know this song. First of all, you have to get something really energetic to get him energized, but not too familiar. Then the second track, you have to hit it like blindside him. Okay, this is going to be cool. Here's something really obscure. Like the, the actual construction yeah. and the narrative you it's, build from track to track is, yeah, it's a storytelling effort. And uh, Rob explains this over the course of the series when she's trying to come up with the ultimate mix. And ultimately it's going to be just sort of her emotional journey. It's going to be for herself. Mm. It's not for somebody. Mm. Um, at the end of the movie, I remember he starts up uh, making a mix for his beloved. Yeah. And that that's how it ends. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to put all, forth all of this thought and energy into something for somebody else, and it's going to mean something this time. Yeah. 
that's a very 90s thing. I'm not sure if it reads so well. No, I just, again, and, uh, it's something, something again, you I'm not, so much more casually now. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure making how... Making a mixtape uh, was something that took effort, and so not everyone did it. Making yeah. a Spotify list is actually, that's one of the things Spotify, I mean, yeah, Spotify didn't invent this. Mm. iTunes did this, Napster mm. did this, but mm. uh, making a playlist like that uh, was acknowledged as something that is a kind of a priority mm. for uh, music streaming services, and as a result, they've mostly gone out of their way to make it easy to do. And easy to share. Mm. That's great, but it's different now. It's a different vibe. Mm. Um, again, that that this lends to sort of the elegiac atmosphere I was talking about before. That mm. that we're we're still trying to think of an emotional journey in the terms of a finite playlist. Whereas mm. I think a lot of people consume their music uh, through YouTube or mm. through these Spotify like services, uh, yeah. which are just jumbling up big, similarly uh, grouped. Songs. Yeah, and again, you're you're a lot of the times in those services, unless you're paying extra, you're getting ads, yeah, which interrupt that story that you're trying to tell. It's, They're it's, often in a very jarring way. So it's it's not like listening to a playlist; it's like listening to the radio. You just yeah. get random songs thrown at you, and yeah. maybe you construct. But I don't know yeah. if people also, are there's a, gathering these things and compiling them. Also, the there, also I've seen some people. To. I've seen some people argue that uh, they don't listen to things in order anymore. Oh, here's mm-hmm. an album. Cool. I'm not necessarily just going to sit and listen to it from beginning to end. If yeah. I hear a song, like I'm going to repeat it or something. And that's something that just has changed in musical tastes and mm-hmm. different. Um, okay. So I think that's the main uh, cast. There's a few people on the side. Uh, Rob has uh, a brother and a sister-in-law who is pregnant. Um, and um, they're mostly just sort of like sort of this counterpoint of like a relatively normal life as opposed mm-hmm. to this rather insular, neurotic uh, hipster, hipster, life, hipster yeah. for lack of a better word, hipster life, uh, and um, I'm trying to think of, and then yeah, uh, mm. that's that's basically that. So in the first episode, uh, we're introduced to Rob. We're introduced to her failed relationship with Mac, uh, and uh, she decides after one year of just being out of the dating scene, can't do it. Uh, she decides to just date some guy. We don't even see how they meet. She just picks some random guy and they go out on a date, and his name is Clyde. Uh, he's the character who's very Jason Sudeik-ish. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it turns out he's actually quite cool. Mm. And he's he's kind of funny. He is not into music the way she is at all. And she, like, mm. pretty mercilessly riffs him for liking the band Fish. Um, but um, he's actually... He's funny. He's understanding. Uh, the only problem is, after they sleep together and he says, let's have breakfast in the morning, he vanishes in the morning. And what she doesn't realize, and then he comes back later that night, and he doesn't re- she doesn't realize that uh, his car got towed. Mm-hmm. He had to chase after it. And by the time he had actually successfully done that, he was late for work, and he had left his cell phone at her apartment. So when mm-hmm. he shows up saying, hey, I can prove it. I left my cell phone in your apartment. Also, I brought you French toast because we said we were going to have breakfast. She's like, oh, maybe he's not a piece of shit. <laughs> and over the well, course of the series, as yeah. she ingratiates herself or returns to old relationships, many of which are toxic or at the very least doomed, she starts to realize that this guy is actually maybe worth her time, even though he's not cool by her measure. Right. Um, But she might realize that after it's too late, and he has a great speech about how he has been trying to remove chaos from his life Mm -hmm. and actually try to, you know, there's a a great bit where uh, he's picking up his dry cleaning. (laughs) 
Mm. That's something no other character in this show would do. <laughs> Pick up or drop off. Yeah. Like, they just wouldn't do it. Like, there's an old Mitch Hedberg line. This coat is uh, dry clean only. That means it's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I've done dry cleaning very few times oh. in my life. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, uh, so that's the kind of person he is. He's getting his shit together. She is not. And as much as they are into each other, they are clashing over that. Over mm. him wanting to have something uh, sane, for lack of a better word, and her just bringing this chaos energy into it. Well, and her realize, her realizing that she is carrying that chaos energy. And yeah. the character turns 30 over the course of the series, and this is very much about a certain period in your life when you realize, where you start to become embarrassed of your 20s. I, yeah. I, I think, I don't know who said this. I know... Um, Alonzo Duralde has repeated this a couple times. Yeah, he's the one I get the quote from. Okay, uh, yeah, you spend your 30s being embarrassed about your 20s. Or you spend your 20s being embarrassed about your teens, and you spend your 30s being embarrassed about your 20s. And I'm pretty sure you spend your 40s being embarrassed about your 30s. I can feel it coming. I'm 38. (laughs) I'm I'm 42, and yeah, there's some things, uh, like the early 30s are starting to seem really embarrassing. We're supposed supposed to I can't wait till I'm 50. Yeah, because then you get shit figured out. Yeah, it's... By, by the time you're 50, it's it's all on paper. I remember when I turned 30 and my dad was still alive and I turned to him and I said, Dad, I'm 30. Like, I'm undeniably an adult. He can't mm. always in his 20s. Like, no, I'm 30. I do not have my shit figured out. I have no idea what I'm doing most of the time. Mm. And my dad took me aside and said, uh, I'm 70. <laughs> I, I haven't figured out any more shit since I was 30. <laughs> Like, I've been faking it this whole time, and I'm amazed you haven't noticed. <laughs> because that's what it is. When we're young, we think older people have that shit figured out. Like, it seems like they're not talking about it. What it turns out is that they're just not sharing their anxieties with kids who aren't going to get specifically what we're going through. Because what what, what do you know about taxes? Well, that's or, not going to help. Like, what do you, you know about... Or you, you have your anxieties, but you still got to make breakfast in the morning. So yeah, you just get up and do it. Yeah, it's just a lot of these I'm things... I'm anxious, but I still have to make toast. We're not going to bother, like, kids with it. And so a lot of these things sort of take us by surprise when we're adults. Like, oh, God, this takes up so much time and effort. Mm. And... Ah, remember when we played Legos? Let's watch the Transformers movie again. There, there's an article I take with me everywhere I go, just in my head. This statistic that uh, some, I think it was Rolling Stone, may have done this. When you're 33, mm. that's oh, when yeah. you stop buying new music. Mm. Like, uh, throughout your 20s, you're really, uh, like, a lot of pop culture around you, especially here in the United States, uh, kind of defines you. And being up on your stuff makes you feel sort of wise and connected with the world. And when you turn 33, it's like, that's when you, on average, that's when you kind of are exhausted. You don't need to keep up on all that stuff. You found your niche. You know what you like. That's when you start going back. That's when you start, you know, looking mm. up the artists that influenced the artists you liked when you were in your 20s. Yeah. That's when you start, you know, exploring a genre that's maybe moribund at this point. Uh, it's, that's when you actually start exploring yourself mm. rather than the rest of the world. As I age, wish we had that a little bit more yeah. in other, like, media. Like, I wish yeah. more people were like, oh, I'm 33 now. I think I'm just going to watch old movies. Well, it, and it happens with movies, too. It happens with movies, yeah. too. I don't know if it's, it's like I'm consistent. Go, I'm going to go back and explore, like, a deep... Co- I'm going to watch all of it Bergman's movies now that I'm 33. I just don't know it's if everyone's like, going through that. I know, I know people yeah. who love the art form do, of course. And again, the, think, and again think, this is on average. Some people yeah. might do it earlier. Yeah. Some people might wait. But, yeah. I, I, I can speak from absolute experience that my wife and partner, mm. uh, Michelle M. Lopez de Silva... Uh, is doesn't go through that at all. She's constantly looking for new music, and she's introducing me to cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, so th- it varies. Mm. Um, but I think this High Fidelity series is about 
that encroaching moment Mm -hmm. when you are uh, ceasing to use the things around you Mm -hmm. uh, to define you and start using, you'll start analyzing your actual character. This is what Whit Stillman movies are about. And there's even a line of, (laughs) a line of dialogue to this effect in the movie and in the series um, that uh, you point out to other people when you're meeting a new person, it's not what you're like. It's what you like. That's the line of dialogue. Yeah. The things you like, if you bond over the similar things you enjoy in media, that makes makes you a more interesting person and that makes your relationship more sound. Uh-huh. And your actual strength of character and who you are and your memories and what you've been through uh, are irrelevant to that. That's not and this really is, a good no, but, piece of advice. No, but that's this is what's yeah. said at the beginning and it's about outgrowing that state of mind. I, I wanted to clarify that for okay. the listeners in case it seemed like we were espousing it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's true. And I remember when I was young and like I thought like, oh, here's how I'll bond with people. I'll tell them I really Suspiria or whatever yeah. I thought was cool at the time, and Suspiria is cool, but um, both versions, but it, now, yeah, <laughs> exists at the time, but uh, but yeah, exactly. And the older you get, the more you realize you don't yeah. have to be into exactly the same stuff. It's nice to be able to agree on something to watch at night, but beyond that, you really mm-hmm. don't have to. Um, one of the secrets I've learned to uh, to a happy partnership don't be into all the same snacks. <laughs> Hey, who ate all the flaming hot Cheetos? Well, it wasn't me. No, I don't eat those. Seems easy. Just buy bigger bags. Well, no, it's fun. No, because you get you get snacky. And that, look, my point is this: I, I don't have good advice. <laughs> That's my advice to you. I don't have good advice. The worst advice is advice. But no, this is this is a story about. And I think we've started to see more of these. I think uh, over the last twenty years or so, stories about. Uh, growing up after you were allegedly supposed to have grown up. Yeah, well... Because the, it used to be you were 18 and you were out the door. The, and now the, it feels like... The difference between having access to adult shit and actually being an adult. Yeah. yeah you, you can be smart without being wise. Yeah, and Judd Apatow's mm-hmm. made a dozen of these yeah. if you count stuff he's produced. Yeah, and I already name-checked Whit Stillman's. So yeah, Whit Stillman's been doing it for a while as well. And um, and I think this this series is a very, very good example of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that by sort of pulling apart the original concepts like Taffy, and mm-hmm. you, you take all of these scenes that previously were just sort of isolated and took up a lot of space and really gave all of the air in the room to the snobbery mm-hmm. and to the selfishness uh, under the, I, I think, mistaken idea that we're all guaranteed to relate. Mm-hmm. Um Again, it really turned me on a lot of these characters in the film, and I didn't care for them. But when you pull them apart and you see all of the character that went into it, all the ex- hmm. sorry, all the experience, all the baggage, all the principles that go into all of the perspectives that these characters have, it's a lot stronger. Hmm. It's so much better. As I, I look at, I'm trying to think of like a good example here, like. This is so much better than the movie for me. Like, shockingly better. Like, well, I, I, I know I'm not a fan, but Jesus. The, the, the pacing definitely helps. It is based on a novel, and yeah, when you're yeah. trying to uh, cram it down into a movie, you're cutting out a lot of vital character bits. And yeah, this was played as a comedy. This was, you know, from very, not very far away from stuff like Clerks and Swingers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, these sort of... Uh, trials of white guys in their 20s in the 1990s and how they were relating to popular culture and how they talked about pop culture and how that was sort of consuming them. And uh, in the movie, that was about how their pop culture obsessions might have made them cooler, but it didn't make them better. And Mm. I think that was the conclusion the movie came to. It's definitely what the TV show's about. Yeah. 
but we had to uh, experience what they thought of was cool, and for them, cool was pissing on the normies. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. didn't actually talk about who developed this show. I just want to make sure we get oh, yeah, credit. Yeah. credit. Obviously, uh, this uh, aired on Hulu, still available on Hulu. Uh, it debuted almost a year ago, actually. It uh, debuted on February 14th, 2020, in its entirety, totally bingeable. Um, uh, it's 10 episodes. Each episode averages about 30 minutes, so it's actually like... You can just make this an afternoon, mm. and you can get through the whole thing, and it's a good watch. Uh, it was developed by Veronica West and Sarah Kuserka. hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and uh, they previously worked on shows like Mercy and, uh, I think most famously, Ugly Betty. Uh, okay. So I, the, I didn't actually watch Ugly Betty. The, the, the American version of Ugly Betty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe so, okay. yes. Um, and, Which is uh, based on a, a Mexican TV series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and again... Uh, I, I really dig the show. I want to focus on a couple of episodes. There's a lot of episodes that are just Rob figuring out her shit, dealing, meeting her exes, and it's all very, very strong, but it kind of bleeds together. There's at least two individual episodes that are so strong mm-hmm. that I would recommend people watch them even if they don't watch the rest of the show, even though you probably might be a little lost. Um, first off, uh, there is an episode... Well, let's talk about the Parker Posey episode. That's what I was going to do. Right. I think I think this one's called Uptown. Um, Rob is at the uh, record store, and they get it, she gets a call from someone uh, who lives in like the fancy part of New York, uh, and says, uh, "I am selling a collection of rare records, mm-hmm. uh, and I need to get rid of them today. Come up." And so uh, Rob, who has had a really awkward on and off thing with Clyde. Uh, asks him to drive her because he's the only person she knows with a car because it's New York. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes. Nobody drives in New York. Yeah. Yep, and we just cut to Clyde. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and he and he's onto it. It's like, hey, I thought it would be fun if we went uptown and hung out and got a meal. You need my car, don't you? No, me. Okay, yeah, I need your car, but yeah. we could still do it. You know. Yeah, and Clyde being cool, he's like, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, and they go and they go into this really fancy house, really giant, and Parker Posey is there, and Parker Posey, and again. This show is so steeped in, like, 90s indie movie cred. Mm. It, it's got the music cred, and the music is great across the board on this show. But the overall vibe is 90s indie movie. Mm. Or or if you want, High Fidelity was 2000, but same, same basic vibe. Parker Posey was the 90s <laughs> indie cred. Well, Party, Party Girl, House, House of yes, yes, Clock Watchers, all, yeah. all of these, yeah, all of these really Waiting great, Guffman, all these really wonderful 90s indie comedies. She, she was, was, she was there. She was impeccable. Had and Henry Fool, she was in like, yeah, Hell Hartley movies. You would be hard pressed to find a movie that Parker Posey wasn't amazing in, even mm. if the movie sucked. She's great in Blade Trinity. <laughs> that <laughs> movie wonderful is terrible and she's great in it. Holy <laughs> shit. Um, so she is playing a rich conceptual artist, um, and actually her art is kind of cool. <laughs> I uh, actually like yeah, her art. She, the, the, she says something from the top of the stairs, and I just yelled out, Parker Posey? And it was. I was like, yay, it's Parker Posey. Uh, and yeah, her shtick is she makes art out of her own personal traumas. So, yeah. uh, And there's a really funny bit where she's cut a car in half, and it's all wadded up, and it's in her gigantic New York apartment. 
And Rob walks past it. Yeah, that was the car I lost my virginity to Matthew Barney in. That that, <laughs> re- that really made me laugh. That, that, yeah. I got a good chuckle out of that. If you don't know Matthew Barney, watch the Craymaster movies if you can. You can't. They're not available. <laughs> you could buy a DVD if you wanted to spend $14,000 for the DVD, which was part of this like little art installation uh, that he put out. Matthew Barney is a, uh, uh, amongst many other things, he's a very... Very pretentious filmmaker. He's an incredibly esoteric uh, artist. Uh, And his Craymaster cycle, there's five movies of widely varying length. Some of them are short, so I think one's like over three hours. Yeah, uh, the the first one, Craymaster 4, that's the first one, Mm -hmm. uh, is 40 minutes long. Craymaster 3, the fifth one, is like three hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Craymaster Um, 3 is amazing. You ever just want to see people like sort of standing around looking weird and there's also a lot of Vaseline for three hours? Matthew Barney's got your number. It's not just people standing around. There's wild stuff. There's like zombie horse races and people you know, climbing the interior of the Guggenheim. And I'm going to say this right. Weird cat women. There's all I'm, kinds of freaky I'm gonna stuff. Say, in those all areas. I'm going to say is that uh, it's one of those like things that for me, and I know I'm, I, I know Whitney disagrees with me on this. Um, way more interesting to describe than it is to watch. Uh, I'm, I'm exhilarated when I watch he that loves stuff, the frankly, but yeah. But if you've ever seen them, you know the kind of pretentiousness we're talking about. We're not even, that's not even a pejorative. It's just very pretentious. Uh, and, uh, yeah. If you ever get a chance to see the Craymaster movies, you owe it to yourself to at least try. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan, but I'm glad I tried. Uh, but uh, she's also made, like, statues out of, like, the various pills that she's popped. <laughs> um, and it turns out that her husband has decided to leave her for a much younger woman. And so she wants to get her revenge. And her revenge is this. His greatest and most valued possession is his record collection, which is obscenely good and filled with rare records. Mm. Uh, like and, early rare error prints, things yeah. that are mixed differently. Like Rob knows her stuff. Yeah. Just takes a look through like one drawer of this gigantic collection. Like there's like, Four records here that are worth a thousand dollars a piece. Yeah, like these are. This mm. is one hell of a collection. She wants to sell it to Rob for twenty dollars, and Rob is so enamored of this collection. She's like, I, I can't possibly buy this for less than fourteen thousand mm. dollars. And she's like, No, my price is twenty dollars. I want him to know that I sold the greatest record collection of all time. For $20, and I'm going to give him a framed $20 bill. <laughs> As her revenge. As her revenge. And it's great revenge. But Rob is in this ethical conundrum. And there's like a version of this in the movie, but it's like a yard sale. And yeah. he has like, he's like, can't decide whether or not it's cool for him to like, in, you know, take this guy's stuff for like nothing because, you know, it would mean so much to him. And I don't remember if we even find out what he decided on this one, but the, the whole episode. It's about her making this decision, and what she decides to do is, she says, I gotta go, we gotta go get a car in order to get all these things. And Clyde's like, I have a, ow, what? Oh, we have to go get a car. Hmm. She tracks down the guy just to see if he's a big enough asshole that she's willing to do this to him. And uh, she finds him. He's hanging out at at, uh, his really high-end bar, um, where... uh, I wish I knew what it was. was The wallpaper was uh, drawn by Ludwig Bemelmans, who did uh, the Madeline books. Yeah. And he, like, hand-painted it, and they restored it. He knew all about it. Yeah. And they talk to this guy, and he has a middle-aged ponytail. 
Mm-hmm. He has a young woman with him that he doesn't talk to or and about. Nor does he introduce her doesn't to introduce these her to, people. Yeah. She's just sort of sitting there on her phone looking really bored by this guy. And while they're sitting down, he spends all of his time talking to Clyde. And when Rob says something, even when she corrects him about when an album came out, and he was off by like eight years, so he wasn't mm. close. Uh, he just looks to Clyde and he says this this really misogynistic mm. shit about how... It's like, she uh, with you, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, it's it's cool when, when women are smart when you're young, but eventually you'll get tired of it. And you just want to punch him. Yeah, and you so, just want to... And you just want to buy his whole record collection for 20 bucks. <laughs> the, the whole point is that he's a... He is a dick. He's actually they, they, a dick. They met him and he is not... He's not decent or kind in the yeah. encounter they had with this guy. Yeah, no, no redeeming qualities mm. to speak of other than he likes music. And Rob ultimately decides at the end of the episode that to her, that's enough. And she can't bring herself to take music, which in her mind should be for everybody, from anyone, no matter how much of a piece of shit they are. Well, and you know what? I I appreciate that. That kind of level of forgiveness on Rob's part. That this guy can be a dick. Maybe he deserves to have Mm -hmm. his record collection stolen. But it doesn't really matter if your horrible music isn't shouldn't be withheld from you yeah and i appreciate this is an actual ethical dilemma here and i think it leads to the yeah, conversation deny, because, denying someone art because here's the thing is, is one not, could, not worse than being a dick but here's the thing mm. and I, this is something that they actually don't address mm. uh he can still listen to the music the music is out there he mm. just won't have the, the rarity collection he yeah. won't have the collection to show off and i think denying him the collection uh-huh is n- not the same thing as denying him the music. Mm. And that's something that isn't addressed. What I do appreciate is at the end of the episode, and obviously the whole episode is about this, and Clyde spells it out in a, mm. in a way that really makes you like Clyde, I think in a way that uh, he just seems like kind of the milk toast guy for a while, and here's where you realize he's actually pretty insightful and, and smart. Mm. He says, you're not, you didn't like deny, you didn't, you didn't like not take the records at the end. He doesn't take, he doesn't take the records. Yeah. You didn't, deny this sale because you felt bad about that guy. You deny that sale because you're afraid that you're a bad person and that someone might one day take away the only thing you care about because they judged you harshly. Mm. And that is a fair point. And I kind of like that. And then it turned out uh, Clyde stole this one really rare Bowie B-side like, <laughs> from the collection. And, like, I left her the 20 bucks, so it's fine. <laughs> but, even, even though that one record was worth $1,000. Yeah, and, like that 10 actually, we yeah. find out later in the, in the, in the series. That, that one record was worth $10,000. No, they're right. So he gave her the 24, and he just sort of snuck it out. And I don't know how it's huge. but mm. um, And then he gave her that because he really wanted it. And it's mm. like, oh, that's kind of nice. They're good together. Um <laughs> The other really good uh, standout episode is uh, later on, there's an episode called uh, Me Time that opens with uh, Rob and Sharice and Simon uh, sort of standing around outside of the shop. And um, I don't remember it opens this, but here's the scene. They're they're standing outside the shop and they're all saying, hey, let's do something tonight. And uh, Rob is supposed to go to a party for her brother. It's supposed to be like... Is like dad to chiller party. Mm-hmm. Like we're about to have this baby any day now, and this is like my last opportunity to go out and get drunk and like be irresponsible for one night. Mm. So they're gonna really go nuts, and uh, Rob wants everyone to go with her, and no one else does. Sharice goes off and does her own thing. Simon goes off and does her own thing. And in the episode meantime, we focus on how that night went for Rob mm. and how. 
uh, she really had it out with her brother, who turns out takes like a lot of drugs and really ruins the whole evening. Mm. And then uh, yeah, she yeah, kind of ruins the, things he... with Clyde as well, who acknowledges that, you know what, you're just too much for me and I can't. Mm. This is not healthy. The next episode is about what Simon did. And it turns out Simon's story was great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this is the one where he talks about his top five breakups. Yeah, for the first time. Oh, we haven't even talked about this. Uh, And In the movie, uh, Rob does this as well. Mm. But in the show, Rob talks to the camera, breaks the fourth wall, Mm. talks about everything he's going through. Or or he, in in John Cusack, in the movie, he, uh, Zoe Kravitz in the show, uh, they talk to the camera. And uh, they talk about everything they're thinking, everything they're going through, and they're basically doing one-sided psychoanalysis, which is why I joked that, like, this whole thing could have been, all this melodrama could have been avoided if they just went to therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But yeah, they get to reveal things. There's a really cute cameo from Blondie, which I think replaces the cameo for Bruce Springsteen in the movie. Well, it's it's Debbie Harry. It's not from the whole band Blondie. Oh, (laughs) fine. It was Bruce Springsteen in the movie. I assumed Blondie referred to her. Because she was blonde. Maybe so, but she doesn't go by Blondie. Her name is Debbie Harry. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> Debbie. Debbie, I know you're listening. I apologize. It's not a cameo from Blondie. It's a cameo from Debbie Harry. This would be, this is, this would be like if I like referred to Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan when I met him. I'd be like, hey, Conan. He'd be like, that's that's not my name. There's a ca- cause cameo in this from Commando. <laughs> hey, Commando, what's up? I mean, kind of. Um, fine. Debbie Harry has a cameo in this. Hey, hey Warhorse, how you doing? She's quite delightful in it. Um, but uh, in any case, yeah, they talk to the front, uh, to the fourth wall. Occasionally, there's some like expressionistic storytelling. People start all saying the name of like Mac's new girlfriend, and becomes yeah. like a scene in being John Malkovich. But mostly, it's just breaking the fourth wall, kind of like Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, in like episode like what seven or eight, uh, Simon can do it too. Mm. And that kind of blew my mind because in my head canon, mm. I had always imagined that Rob was speaking to the Great Gazoo from the Plinstones. He was speaking specifically to the Great Gazoo. He was speaking to somebody. Okay. So speaking like just some well, some all knowing. Did you ever deity. see? Did you ever see the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas? No. Really. I know that that makes me less of a critic. It does. It's, it's a huge <laughs> hole in my education. No, that's, that's a hell of a gate right there. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to if, walk through this if, one, do we? If Viva Rock Vegas is your gate, maybe you're at the wrong gate. <laughs> uh, Viva Rock Vegas was a live-action sequel to the live-action Flintstones movie. Which was a hit in 1994. A really surprisingly big hit. And then, like, seven or eight years later... Uh, they did a live action sequel, and when they with couldn't an get all, with an all new cast, yeah, when yeah. they couldn't get Rick Moranis and John Goodman back to reprise their roles, they retooled it and they decided to make it a prequel. And it ended up starring uh, Stephen Baldwin as Barney. Mm. And I actually got to tell you, he's quite good. <laughs> he's actually a pretty good Barney. Like he's doing the show. Um, and uh, I mean, um, it was um, Mark Addy. Mark Addy from Full Monty. Full, Full Monty was was Fred Flintstone. He's a better Fred Flintstone than John Goodman. He's actually doing the cartoon much, much better. Uh-huh. Uh, and you got Jane Krakowski in it as uh, Betty, and um, it's actually a good cast. Mm. Um, and uh, actually, if I'm being perfectly frank, it's a better movie than the first one. Like, it's not amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't All call right. it particularly good, but it's a better <laughs> movie. The plot works better. The cast is a little bit better. But they actually bring in the Great Gazoo in that mm. movie. And if you're familiar with the cartoons... The Great Gazoo was a character mm-hmm. they brought in like the last season or two of the Flintstones because they kind of run out of ideas. And now all of a sudden there's a little green floating alien that only Fred and, and uh, Barney mm-hmm. can see. And he can grant wishes. 
Hello, Dum Dum. He yeah. called him Dum Dum. Hmm. Uh, in the movie, he's, play, he's played, played by, by Harvey, Cor- Harvey Corman. Yeah, and in the movie, he's played by Alan Cumming, and the CG is weird and off-putting. Because they, they, like, superimpose his face on this little cartoon body. Yeah, right? it's yeah. really, and the proportions are all off, and it's not cool. Um, but uh, in the movie, the, the justification for mm-hmm. the Great Gazoo and why he's here in the story about how Fred met and married Wilma and Barney met and married mm-hmm. Betty uh, was Great Gazoo had come to the planet Earth to study human romance, which hmm. uh, they didn't understand on his home planet, because everyone uh, 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 reproduces uh, asexually, like just like single-celled organisms. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we see it happen in the middle of a conversation, and it's kind of awkward. <laughs> uh, and he just comes to, he lands right in front of Fred and Barney, and says, only you two shall see me. Now, start mating! And they're like, uh, this is a little bit more complicated than that. Okay, I'll wait. And so they're trying to explain love to the Great Gazoo when they don't know a goddamn thing about it. <laughs> so I imagined that Rob in this series was speaking to the Great Gazoo. And now all of a sudden, Simon can speak to the Great Gazoo? Yes. Kind of weird. Your Great Gazoo, Great Gazoo analogy has just completely derailed me. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to the audience. <laughs> He's narrating. That's common. Do you, do you have to have some sort of, like, intermediary between you and the character? Or is do you always imagine the Great Gazoo? How long, how far back does this go with you? Actually, Whenever you see far. somebody... I only like, just did, saw, The first oh, time you on, saw Sunset on. Boulevard, when William Holden's dead in the pool, was he talking to the Great Gazoo? No, he was dead. Okay. And? Is the Great Gazoo dead? No, he can't speak to the dead. <laughs> what are you, weird? What are you, no. Okay, Orbity. My Great <laughs> Yes, Orbity, as we all know, was a ghost. <laughs> yeah, now, Orb- Orb- Orbity had that power. He could change no. color and he could also speak to the dead. No, no, no. I'm not explaining my... Orbity to you. No. <laughs> look up the look up the Jetsons Wikipedia page. It's all Je- Jetsons 1980s or Jetsons shit years. <laughs> you mean the Jetsons? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> that was never a great. That's true. <laughs> Jetsons was never like there's no in the golden era of the Jetsons. My my, I, I actually be perfectly honest. My Great Kazoo theory is based not on talking to the audience. I don't think Iago was talking to the Great Kazoo. <laughs> Iago wasn't talking about romance. Specifically because we're talking about romance, I assume the Great Kazoo, and only because I finally saw the Flintstones of Viva Rock Vegas mm. like three months ago. Okay. So this is a theory I've had for three months. There. Okay, let's get back to the show now. Anyway, Simon, <laughs> Simon has an episode in which he gets to reveal his top five breakups, and it turns out that like four of them are with the same guy. Yeah. Well, it, it took, he was in his, like, mid-twenties when he was dating Rob when he figured out, wait a minute, I'm not into women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he doesn't have as long or as storied a romantic history as Rob. Yeah. Rob was able to go back to her crushes when she was in junior high. Um, yeah, Simon uh, is talking about essentially his on-again, on off-again romance with this one man that he met uh, shortly after he broke up with Rob. Mm. And... How uh, he constantly disappointed Simon, and how Simon was so uh, romantically inexperienced that he kind of let this guy take advantage of him over and over again, and he was able to come back and real 
re- constantly reassess their relationship. Yeah, like, I'm sorry I gave you chlamydia. I only slept with one that was, other yeah, person. Yeah, that was part of it, yeah. And then, like, another one where uh, Simon have actually gotten comfortable enough to tell the guy after they'd gotten back together for a few months that he loved him. Mm. And the guy just like, oh, and then he left and came up with an excuse. Mm. And so that broke his heart. And then the guy came back and asked him to move in with him. And then now he, then he got insecure because the guy had, like, a really great, like, fancy lawyer job. Mm. And he was insecure about his own job. And basically, it was all boiling down to we find out that the guy had actually arrived at the store to just sort of catch up again. Mm. And the rest of the episode is he's telling the stories about him trying to find his, like, lucky shirt. And it was a shirt that this guy gave him. Yeah. And it turns out that... He can't find the shirt. He goes all out trying to replace the shirt, trying to get a shirt just like it. And then finally we find out that the reason why he wanted to look good, it was like the only nice shirt he had, Mm -hmm. was because he was going out on a date with another guy and he had finally moved on with his fucking life. (laughs) And that was a a, a really really great story. A really cute barista. Yeah, that, that episode in and of itself is a really great short film. Yeah, yeah. It's because, very focused. It's very heartwarming, and it's very real, and it's good. It it and it gets a, a it allows us to sort of spend more time with other cast members, and while not necessarily forgetting about Rob and the central story. Well, I loved this idea, and it's a it's an idea I've seen done before, mm. um, where we're gonna look at uh, you know, the same night from multiple perspectives. Yeah. Uh, South Park did a whole series based on that. Um, uh, a couple of shows. That's the first one that comes to mind. Um, and so I thought for the next episode, we we're going to see what Sharice did that night, and mm. we didn't, and that was weird. Uh, <laughs> that was really, well, and I wanted to see what Sharice's top five breakups were. I want to see what she, or just what she would say to the great kazoo. Like, I just want to know. I thought we were actually got, especially since this is, you know, maybe they would have done it in the second season, would have been nice. Mm. Um, but especially since we only had the one season, not getting the episode in which Cerise, who has a very vivid inner life, mm. gets to act. I guess maybe the justification is she's constantly saying whatever she thinks anyway. Yeah. She, so maybe she doesn't need one. But she's pretty em- emotionally out there, but she's really nervous. Her arc is that she wants to uh, perform. She has a band. She has a lot of musical ideas, and she's uh, constantly talking about the project that she's going to complete, and she actually hasn't made any music yet. Yeah. So uh, she keeps on asking Rob, when are you going to stock my record? Make it. Yeah. Make your record, and and I'll stock it for you. And uh, she ends up uh, connecting with uh, two shoplifters, these two young kids, like high school kids. Rob does, really. Well, they, they they both chase these kids yeah. out of the store, and Sharice uh, is the one who ends up spending a lot of time with these kids, and we know that they're working on something off to the side, and she's got a lot of music ambition. But that was a story for season two. Clearly. Uh, and Clearly. we get to see yeah. it conclude in the movie, uh, yeah. but yeah, they didn't conclude it by the time the series ended. Yeah, but basically the idea is that Sharice uh, is going from uh, someone who appreciates music and is snobbish about it, and arguably like you would call her like a critic. Mm. Uh, and then actually wants to make the transition into making this art herself. Mm. And that's her, she's an, an actual goal, but she's been talking herself out of it, or for whatever reason, she's never allowed herself to pursue that dream. Yeah. And by the end of the season, she's actually ready to do so, and she's trying to save up money uh, for a guitar. And there's actually a really... I don't want to ruin it for you because it's like one of the last things in the series, but the way that that storyline ends is actually really sweet. Mm. And I love how it also sort of illuminates character development for her and another character. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really nicely done bit. Um, Rob's story over the course of the series is she dates a few other people, but clearly she's just not gotten over Mac. And... 
by the end of the series, we actually find out more about their breakup and we realize just how much of it was Rob's fault. And we realize that uh, she comes to the conclusion that she's been a bad person and that she actually needs to change. And when she finally goes to Clyde Mm. and says, you're like the one decent person, Mm. like truly, like, I, I, like... Or been I, I, at, at remotely connected with. Yeah. yeah, like, Mac is a decent person, but I've ruined that forever. Mm. And I hope I haven't ruined everything with you. And Mac's like, you kind of have. Mm. And she's yeah. like, kind of? Like, I think you've ruined everything. Like, think! So there's a chance. <laughs> and she's like, and he finally, like, needles him and says, how much of a chance? And he says, 9%. 9? 9%. 9%. It's and weirdly specific, and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> But like he could have said ten percent, but that even that seems like ten too... percent seems like a lot. Like 9% yeah, so nine percent. That's not one. Yeah. It's not one percent. And she and she walks away feeling hopeful about that nine percent. Yeah, and that's where the series ends, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I think that's actually a good note. I'm, I'm disappointed know. that Charisse's storyline in particular doesn't reach a more meaningful conclusion other than mm. she's going to keep pursuing her dreams, which is mm. fine, but just well, not great. It, eventually we'd see her perform, of course. is the idea. But and... if we're accepting this episode as a series finale, which, again, mm. regardless of intention, it now is, that's the part for me that feels just a little disappointing because yeah. I would have liked to have seen more because I think Divine Joy Randolph is a goddamn treasure. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's really funny in this show. She's really, really... Everyone in this show is really, really good. Um, yeah, there, there's nobody bad No, this is a it. good they're, cast. Yeah, they're, they're all really pulling their weight. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think Rob's storyline concludes as well as it mm. could. Uh, I think Simon's storyline um, concludes with him like in a relationship. It's a little tidy, but it's nice. Good for mm. him. He deserves one. Um, and Charisse will continue her passions, and she's getting there, and that's yeah. nice, too. It just... I, if if I if they'd known this was a series finale, I think we would have ended with like a performance from her. Or something. Yeah, but yeah. what are you gonna do? Um, overall, this series is really really yeah. great. Uh, yes, it was canceled too soon. Definitely canceled uh, too I, soon. I want to see more of this. I like this version of Rob mm, much the, better. My, my, I like oh. yeah. I, I like Zoe Kravitz's performance mm-hmm. where she's really kind of sardonic. It does feel dated, but that's not an issue for me because I'm 100 years old. Well, uh, I think it's interesting it's... that we're finally getting to the point where the 90s mm. are a vibe that we're evoking in pop culture. For so long, we were evoking the 80s or the 70s. Like, yeah. the 70s was like, well, it, Grindhouse people, was evoking 70s. People and... our age became the tastemakers, yeah. and we were so obsessed with media that all we are doing as uh, now the people in charge of media is mm. selling the media we consumed back to the younger people. That's true. So that's... That, that's where this whole wave of remakes kind of came from. I would argue that, granted, remakes yeah. is, a more, is a more like a, but, uh, a, a cynical version of that, but I think uh, but there, in but any, even in any art looking... form, there are people who want to evoke mm. previous eras of something. And, and it's, yeah, this you is true, do but but you can tell the age of the people who are making it. It's right. like, okay, I'm going to see the guest. That's an awesome movie. Why are all these these weird references to like Halloween three in there? Like, clearly <laughs> somebody grew up watching Halloween three exactly. when they were making the guest. Yeah, and, uh, and here so we're starting to see that with nineties indie vibes. Yeah, and and which is it's a little weird because as we were talking about at the very head of this episode, that kind of snobbery. That media snobbery, that kind of cynicism, well, that kind uh, of is, socialization, even just yeah. at a store, exactly. All, all of these things are now, even before the pandemic. It, it's atypical, and it's not something that is being celebrated now. In fact, it's being kind of pilloried in yeah. a lot of ways. We're, you know, gatekeeping is now a, an extreme pejorative, mm-hmm. whereas it used to be. Uh, uh, to, to be, another word for expertise. To be fair, to be mm. fair, for some people, it was always a pejorative because I, I too many so, people yeah. who had the expertise 
were shutting people out of those communities, yeah. and that fucking sucked. That fucking sucked mm. and should never have been okay. Yeah. But at its best, and you and I have argued this before, gatekeeping should simply be here's this G- gate, being a guy, enjoy this yeah. gate. It being yeah, being, like, being come a, come over to my come over to yeah. my gate. I have a key because yeah. I've done all of this research. Yeah, I can't. I'm an expert, and, and it'd be, you know, it's, like, it'd be, it's it's like a film professor, or a music professor, or yeah. something, or, like, here's a, a, reading or a critic. You know, exactly. we're we're trying to guide people through the gates, yeah. as many uh, as we can. Yeah, yeah and, and that's the idea. It, it's but yeah, it sort of changed into something toxic in the meantime. And so I, it's it's I, kind of weird that we're I, I using it. Saying, I dislike you saying it changed because at some level it always was, and there's a lot of people who like cut out of comic book stores or whatever people like you know who are like are you a fake gamer kind of thing like all <laughs> yeah, that bullshit it, it, that's it, always been it there. led you know, well, I, that's always been there okay okay I'm, i, I know... gamer gate is also part of this so yeah. I, I understand how yeah. evil it is now yeah uh, yeah but, uh, but it's been highlighted mm. but there there it didn't used to be unilaterally mm. bad okay. at least maybe, maybe i'm just using the wrong word when i say maybe. gatekeeping and I'm, i think I'm you are conflating but... it with um a certain kind of snobbish expertise. What we're looking for that, is that, that we're looking was for an artistic a lot more mentorship program. There you go. That's yeah, what we. Men- that's mentorship. what we want. And that's something that uh, someone who actually has a lot of expertise in a genre, or is incredibly well read, or versed, or whatever you mm. want to call it. Um, that's, I think, the goal. Yeah, is to be more mentorly and also. Mm. Um, uh, again, not a dick about other people's tastes, and I think I think it's good mm. that uh, our uh, overall attitude towards some patterns of behavior have changed. Yeah. And I think High Fidelity 2020 is a way more nuanced take of that, where we acknowledge that people can still be snobs, mm. people can still even be gatekeepers, but uh, they also can also have principles. Mm. They can also uh, be nuanced. They can also grow out of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that, I think, is a much better conversation that we're having in this series. Than we were in High Fidelity 2000. Now, again, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the musical and I haven't read the book, so I can't speak to those. But the movie, I don't think, did a great job of it. Mm-hmm. I did. I do think it evoked it well. I just don't think it explored it as well as I would like, even at the time when I didn't necessarily have the tools at my disposal to know something's wrong here. Even when I was 18, I rejected that movie because mm-hmm. there's something wrong here, and I hate these <laughs> people, especially Rob. Um... Anyway, that is canceled too soon. And then there's a long conversation to be had about all these topics, and we're uh, we're doing the best we can right now. But again, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can, of course, uh, tweet us at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we, you can always send us an email about anything we talked about on this episode. Did you watch High Fidelity? Did you like the movie more than we did? Whatever you want to talk about, you can write us an email, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email and have a conversation about it on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Mm. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash network, where you can vote for future episodes of our various shows, uh, where you can get a whole bunch of exclusive content. I- I'm sorry, I said it, didn't I? Content. You can get exclusive <laughs> shows, podcasts. Yeah, we're trying to avoid saying content Con- because it makes it all seem mercenary, like we're just yeah. filling a shelf. No, we're working our ass off on these things. So uh, we're, we're creating podcasts for you, and there's a lot of them that are exclusive mm. for our patrons because they help keep these shows running. Even our free shows couldn't run without them. So mm. as a special thank you to them, we have a lot of exclusive stuff. 
including podcasts dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek, podcasts dedicated to every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Uh, in our back catalog, we've done every single episode of Firefly. <laughs> we have commentary tracks. We have uh, uh, episodes about uh, sh- things that should be on Disney Plus but are mysteriously not. We do a podcast about every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We really want to reward you mm-hmm. for putting in your support for the show. Yeah. So thank you everybody who does. And of course, polls to the side future podcasts. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all you, it's all up to you. Yeah. And, uh, before we go, uh, uh two things, one next, uh, week on cancel too soon. Uh, the next show and suddenly last season is a show called utopia, which is about some sort of utopia or maybe a comic book. And in a weird bit of synergy has John Cusack in it. Weird. Mm. Totally a coincidence. I think. Um, so we got that coming up next week, but also, uh, I wanted to make an announcement and I'll be mentioning this a few more times, uh, uh, pretty regularly because, uh, we, uh, uh, M. Lapis da Silva and I, uh, we've started a soap business. <laughs> you have an Etsy. We have an Etsy store. Uh, if you go to Etsy and look for salt cat soap, salt is in the condiment, cat is in Luca, soap is in soap, uh, you will find our Etsy store and, uh, we, uh, have a whole bunch of designs. They're all from uh, uh, M. Lapis da Silva right now. I might have a few here and there. Um, but uh, we have uh, a whole bunch of soaps that are uh, handcrafted and uniquely designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we will be introducing new designs every first Saturday of the month uh, from here on out. Uh, I want to give a very special shout out to those of you who've already purchased the soaps. It's, the store's only been online since yesterday, and we've already made some sales, so that's nice. Uh, but we've got, uh, already we've got uh, what we call stone bars. Uh, mm. Those look like marble, and they're really, really gorgeous. And they've got uh, Himalayan salt in there, so as you scrub, they turn into sort of a geode. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, we've got uh, creamy salt hearts, which is a goat's milk uh, uh, heart. Uh, which also has Himalayan sea salt in it. Uh, that's a really wonderful exfoliant. I highly mm. recommend it. And we also have, and this is in very limited numbers, and I can't honestly say um, if they'll still be around by the time you hear this podcast, but we have uh, a Sergio bar, mm. uh, which was made oh. in honor of our wonderful uh, late cat Sergio. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a great cat, and uh, it's, it's just, uh, it smells like fresh laundry, mm. uh, which is, a, he loved to sleep on laundry. Um, and um, it's really, really sweet. And we've already sold a few of those. And I'm really, really glad people uh, are enjoying mm-hmm. them. So uh, just want to let people know. Salt Cat Soap over on Etsy. The link is, uh, we put the link on Twitter and stuff too. And there's also an Instagram as well. Um, okay. So again, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you to everybody who made High Fidelity. You made a good show. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry your show got canceled. It sucks that your show got canceled. Your show was great. Um, and um, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.